Y'all, that was a that was a great way to start the morning. Can I get an amen on that? God is love. God is love. You know, as we were singing that, and I was watching you join hands across the aisle, I was just reminded that there is nothing any of us can do to escape the love that God has for us. And man, I have done some messed up, just some bad, nasty stuff. And it feels really, really good to know that nothing I have ever done has put me outside of the reaches of the love of our God. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that this morning? Thank you, Lord. I'm going to be in John's Gospel this morning, reading from the 11th chapter. And as you turn your Bibles there, I'm going to be talking to you this morning about growing in the grace of God. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, you can jot this down if you're taking notes, Peter introduces to us this idea that it is possible to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of God. Right before 2 Peter 3.18, he talks about how there are going to be evil, lawless men that try and lead the people of God away from their secure position. And then he gives us that demand, grow it, so grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. I want to talk to you this morning. I believe God grows us in His grace through difficult circumstances that we face in life. Let me say that to you again. I believe God grows us in His grace through difficult circumstances that we face in life. I want to show you a picture on screen this morning. This is called The Raising of Lazarus. Now, if any of you are art buffs in the audience, you might notice that this is a piece of art from the Impressionist era, which is uh, early to late 1800s. And the individual who painted this, you might recognize his, his, uh, his uh, uh, artwork also is a man named Vincent Van Gogh. And one of the most famous paintings he painted is called Starry Night. And it's that blue night background with stars in the sky and... And you can see a village below. And actually, these paintings, this one and that one and a number of others from this time period, Vincent van Gogh actually painted from within the halls of an asylum in the southern part of France. So let me give you a little bit of that backstory. In his early years, Vincent van Gogh was raised by a believing Christian family. His parents and their parents were in ministry And Van Gogh lacked the academic uh, prowess, the academic capability to be a really high-powered preacher. So he was sent by his family to evangelize the men who were working in the coal mines in southern France. And he was not an especially effective itinerant evangelist. And so he traveled around not making much money. His family became very disappointed with him. And he eventually enrolled in the military. And his father passed away. And at the passing of his father, and the tragedy that he felt at the passing of his father, his life began to spiral out of control. And he began to consume alcohol and live wildly. And he became immersed in sin. And biographers uh, of, of... Vincent van Gogh during this time in his life would say that he lost his faith. This is also the time period in his life when he famously cut off his own ear, for those of you that know the story. 
So he voluntarily checks himself into a mental health asylum in the southern part of France. And he begins to paint some of his more famous paintings. Now, if you track the artist's artwork over this time period, initially there's lots of blues and darker hues and darker colors. But over time, Van Gogh begins to find his faith again, and his artwork is characterized by much brighter colors, similar to those we see in this particular photo, particularly the color yellow, which for him began to represent new life. This specific painting is of the raising of Lazarus, and it's the culmination of what many biographers feel is Vincent van Gogh's personal spiritual journey of finding his faith again. And you may not be able to see this from where you sit. You can research this online later. But if you were to look closely enough at the face of Lazarus, you'd be able to to discern that van Gogh actually painted his own face onto Lazarus to to commemorate the transformation and new life he felt he had received as a result of his faith journey over time. In the story of Vincent van Gogh, God used tragedy and death and hardship to grow this man up in grace. And he found his God again and it transformed his life in a very powerful way. I've been praying for you and praying over this, and I believe during the holiday season, God wants to use the difficult things you're going through as a way to grow you up in His grace and renew your faith once again. So let's get to two ladies in the Gospel of John in the 11th chapter who are experiencing this kind of a very difficult, discouraging moment in their lives. And in this chapter, their brother, uh, two ladies, Mary and Martha, have a brother named Lazarus who has died. And Jesus, like many of you know, is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, the unique thing about this story in the Gospel of John is twofold. First, other people that Jesus raised from the dead had only been dead for moments. Lazarus has been dead for days. And the second piece of this story that's significant is... This is the culmination of Jesus' ministry as told to us in John's Gospel where he makes the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. This is why I have come. Not just to give you new life while you live, but if you believe in me, though you die, you shall still live. And before we get to ways God grows us up in the midst of difficult circumstances, I want to teach you some truths about when the going gets tough. I want to mention three things, and I hope you'll take some notes. These are three truths I want you to remember when the going gets tough. And then I'm going to tell you two ways God is going to grow you up in grace in the middle of difficult circumstances to wrap this thing up. The first thing I want to mention is told to us here in two different verses. The first one is in John chapter 11 and verse 3. And I want you to listen to how these individuals describe Jesus' feelings towards Lazarus. Okay? First, the sisters send word to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, the one you love is sick. And then a few verses later, the Bible records in John chapter 11, verse 5, 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, which would be Mary, and he also loved their brother Lazarus. Now there aren't many times in the scriptures where we get a very clear idea of how Jesus feels towards another person. Sometimes we get the idea that Jesus feels very angry, like in John chapter 2, and he fashions a whip and beats people out of the house of God for making it a den of thieves, right? That's very angry. But we don't hear very often Jesus really deeply loving someone. This is one of those moments in Scripture where Jesus really loved these people. He cared for them. He had a relationship with them. They were on his mind. They were on his mind. And one truth I want you to remember about when the going gets tough in your life is just because you love Jesus and he loves you doesn't mean you're going to be protected from difficult circumstances befalling you in your life. Jesus loved these guys and they really, really loved Jesus. And the love that Jesus had for them and the love that they had for him didn't protect them from hardship befalling, didn't protect them from difficulties occurring, didn't protect them from misery or from trial or for trip or from tribulation. And one of the ways the enemy tries to discourage the people of God in difficult situations is by saying things like, if only you love Jesus a little bit more, this certain thing wouldn't have happened to you. Or if only Jesus loved you a little bit more, this certain thing wouldn't have happened to you. And I want want to tell you the truth, church family. The life of Jesus was a life of suffering. The book of Isaiah describes Jesus as a suffering servant. The life of Jesus was a life of suffering. If you're going to live the lifestyle that Jesus lived then you can be prepared to suffer in some of the ways that Jesus Christ himself suffered. Jesus tells us this a few few chapters later in John chapter 16 and, and verse 33. He says to all of his followers, in this world you will have tribulation. If you're going to follow after me, people are going to uh, give you a hard time because of your testimony of faith in me. In this world, not only are people going to give you a hard time because of your testimony of faith, but this is a cursed world because of sin, and you're going to have tribulation. There's going to be storms that come in your life, and earthquakes, and hurricane-force winds, and things are going to blow your house over or shake your world to the core. Those things are going to happen. And sometimes it's going to be the tests of sin. There is a very real enemy and you are a very real fleshly individual. And when those two things are working against your spiritual self, you're going to face trials. And Jesus faced all of those things. Jesus lived a life of suffering. To live a life like Jesus lived is to suffer a little bit. Simply because we are close to Jesus and he is close to us does not mean hardship is going to befall us. Instead, I think it could be helpful for men and women who are living like Jesus to view the hardships and trials and tribulations and tests that they go through as guideposts that they are on the right track. And on the flip side of that, if your life is very comfortable, if it's very easy, if it's not challenging, and if you're not being pushed to grow, you're probably not living the kind of lifestyle that Jesus is asking you to live. 
The truth about tough, the truth about when the going gets tough is your closeness to God just isn't going to protect you from difficult situations. And if you find yourself in the midst of difficult situations, it likely means you're living a life in pursuit of Jesus Christ. If we keep going on in our text to uh, John chapter 11 and verse 21, three different times in this text, people make statements to Jesus, something along the lines of, Jesus, if only you had been here, this bad thing would not have befallen us. Jesus, if only you'd been here, this bad thing would not have befallen us. Jesus, if only you had been at the Alabama-Auburn game, this terrible thing that happened to Alabama would not have happened to Alabama. Can I just say go Tigers, everybody? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise in the building today, okay? Uh, It's a different Tiger, but we can all be Tigers fans this morning. So in this text, this is Martha, and she's actually um, questioning Jesus from a place of faith. So she's not criticizing Jesus or, or, or condemning him. Martha is saying genuinely, Lord Jesus, I know if you would have been here, this bad thing would not have happened. And Jesus doesn't rebuke her. Um, Jesus doesn't do therapy with her. Uh, he gets right to the point. I'm going to mention that later. But this is not the only time somebody has some sort of question, difficult question, because of a difficult circumstance that they're asking Jesus. A few verses later, Martha's sister, Mary, hears that Jesus is in, in, in the area, and she says... And she goes to the place where Jesus is, and she sees him, and she falls at his feet, and she says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Now, this is a question not based in faith. When Martha, when Martha questions Jesus, I didn't give you the 22nd verse, but she says, she says, but I know you'll raise him at the last day. Well, not so with Mary. She says, if you wouldn't have been here, he wouldn't have died. Why weren't you here? You should have been here. This is kind of all your fault. In the midst of a difficult situation, Martha's asking some really tough questions of Jesus. And a few verses later in John 11, I think it's 37 or 35, 37, there's a crowd of Jewish people who have surrounded Mary and Martha to support them in the loss of their brother. And when Jesus happens on the scene and they know that he's opened the eyes of the blind and he's healed people who have been paralyzed and he's healed people who are sick, these people are looking at Jesus and they speak very condescendingly and they say, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And I want to tell you this, when the going gets tough, your God is big enough for your hardest questions. When the going gets tough, your God is big enough for your very most difficult questions. Each of the people in the middle of this difficult situation have some really tough questions that they're asking of Jesus. And really the central theme is why? Why did this happen? If you'd have just been here, something else could have happened Why did this happen? I want you to remember this morning when the going gets tough, it's okay to bring your most difficult questions to God. Because he's big enough for the toughest questions that you can ask. 
But I honestly believe if you're going to ask some very difficult questions of God, you've got to be willing to hear some very difficult answers back from Him. And those difficult answers from God don't just come by you sitting there and doing nothing. God's already made a way for you to hear His voice. And it's right here and we're reading from it today. God's big enough for your toughest questions, friends. So go ahead and ask Him. In the middle of your most difficult situations, go ahead and ask God the most difficult questions you can. But you better get in this Word and be prepared for God to answer with some pretty tough truths. One of the most dangerous things I think that can happen is for people to either ask and not expect to hear God back through His Word. Or just get disengaged and not ask at all. God wants to have that kind of a relationship with you. God wants you to bring your difficult questions and your tough situations and your moments of feeling overwhelmed to Him. And He wants to speak to you in His Word and guide you through your difficulty. He's big enough for your tough situations. The next thing I want to mention to you about tough situations is that real men cry. Real men cry. This is from John chapter 11 and verse 35. It's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. So you all should walk away from here this morning having memorized one verse of Scripture. Okay? John 11.35. That's just a freebie for you today. John 11.35. Jesus wept. Sometimes in our life, what we want to do is we want to run from situations that make us feel bad. We don't want to lean into our pain. We don't want to be with our pain. We don't want to actually resolve our pain. We just want to stuff it. But that's not the example that Jesus sets for us. In His grace, Jesus helps resolve our pain so we don't have to run from it anymore. In His grace, God helps us resolve our pain so that we don't have to run from it anymore. There are people on the scene in John chapter 11 who are hurting. And the greatest preacher and counselor and theologian who has ever walked the earth could give any advice or biblical truth or guidance imaginable. And instead of doing any of those things, what does Jesus, what does Jesus just do? He just cries with these people. He's just with them in those moments and feels what they feel and allows himself to be vulnerable and walls to come down and cry with them. And I'm not giving you the full context here, but Jesus gets angry. He gets, he gets very righteously angry, I believe, and other commentators that I've read on this agree with me, that this sin-sick world causes the kind of pain and misery and agony that Mary and Martha are experiencing right here. The reason that means something to me is I want the God who is in control of the whole universe, I want Him to hurt when I hurt. And I want him to feel a little bit righteously angry at the people and things that hurt me. So you're not alone in your pain. That's why you don't have to run from it. You're not alone in your pain, which is why you don't have to run from it. Those are the three truths from John 11 about tough situations that I want you to remember. Just because you're close to God doesn't protect you from difficult situations. Matter of fact, if you find yourself in difficult situations in the name of Jesus, it probably means you're on the right track.
The second thing I want, I want you guys to remember is it's okay to bring those tough questions to God as long as you're prepared for Him to give you some tough answers and you're willing to seek those out. And the last thing is it's okay to feel what you're feeling. God's right there feeling it with you and He's supporting you and He's never going to leave you and He's never going to forsake you. In all your difficult stuff, those three things are definite truths. In this text, Jesus gives two commands... Uh, that free Lazarus from the grave, that I believe are two ways that God grows us in grace through the midst of a difficult circumstance. Some of you would, would already know which, which commands he gives. The first thing he says to do is he tells the people who are looking onto this scene, he says, roll away the stone from the grave. Roll away this stone. So this is John... Chapter 11, verse 39, it's the first part of that verse. Jesus says, take away this stone. Now think about what function the stone served in Jesus' day and time. Stones over graves separated the dead from the living. Stones over graves separated the dead from the living. Lazarus was separated from Jesus when he was in the tomb. There was something separating a dead man from the man who could give life. And Jesus says, I'm going to make this man alive again. But before I do, I don't want a barrier between me and him. I want the thing that's separating this man from me, the dead from the life giver. I want this thing removed from his life. And some of us expect to be made alive in our situations, but there are these huge stones, there are these big walls, there are these barriers between us and Jesus. And we're saying, Jesus, I need you to do this. God, would you work this miracle in my life? Can you please help me with this situation? And God's sitting back going, I would love to, but you've got to remove the stone away. You've got to move the barrier that separates you from me in your life so I can access you and make you alive again. And I think in this specific case, with this specific command, I would say there's two things that are, the, that are the two biggest barriers. The first is a lack of faith, and the second is unrepented for or unconfessed sin. A lack of faith or unrepented and unconfessed sin. And those are two things that if those are barriers between you and God, God wants to remove those so he can grow you up in his grace and in his favor. Another truth about this thing, sometimes you can't move the stone away on your own. Who does Jesus ask to move away the stone? Not Lazarus. It's the people who have come around to help that family in the middle of that situation. And this is the other thing I want to teach you about this. Some of the stuff in your life that is separating you from God is too big for you to deal with by yourself. It's just too big for you to deal with by yourself. So you've got to find that team of people who are on the scene, who know you're struggling, who are there to support you, who are wanting to help you get that barrier between you and God removed. You've got to let them know what's going on. You've got to let them know what you need. And then you've got to let them help you move those walls aside so that there's nothing separating you from the giver of all life, Jesus Christ. And that's what I love about the body of Christ. Because two or three of us can do much more than any one of us can. And that's the principle Jesus is trying to teach us right here. Stones separate death from life. And you've got to get those walls and those stones out of your life. 
The second way God grows us up in the midst of tough situations is the second command that he gives in this story. And you know it. Lazarus comes forth. And then Jesus gives the second command. Loose this man and let him go. Loose him and let him go. Here's the other thing I want, I want to say to you this morning about ways God grows us up in his grace. And what I like about the story of Lazarus, and I've talked this before in different ways. Um, and when I teach this, my mind is always drawn to the reality that we carry some of the patterns of the old life into the new life we are given in Jesus Christ. We just tend to carry some of those old ways of thinking, some of those old ways of behaving, and some of those, some of those old ways of relating from the old life into the new life. And so in, in, in spiritual circles, we talk about the process of sanctification, which is all about God helping us put to death those patterns of thinking and behaving and relating from the old life and really becoming more and more like Jesus Christ every day. That's what Peter is talking about in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know how to change what you don't know how to change. And over time, we've got to learn and we've got to grow and we've got to understand, hey, my new life should look different than my old life. The patterns of thinking and behaving and relating that were how I lived in my old life, some of those are going to be carried over in my new life. Praise God, most of those will be put to death when I'm baptized into Christ. But there are going to be some of those things that linger, just like these grave clothes were still on Lazarus after Jesus calls him from the tomb. And so what does he have to do? He has to get rid of the vestiges of death in his life to live fully alive again. And there are some areas of our life, church family, that we just don't want to surrender. There are some areas of life we just don't want to surrender if we're being honest. And that's the second thing God is asking you to do in the middle of a tough situation. Let me, t- let me, let me tell you a quick story to illustrate this point, and then I'm going to conclude. A good friend of mine in college married a lady from a foreign country. And she spoke fluent English. But when she got really, 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 really mad, she switched over into the tongue of her youth. And she didn't know that she would do it. So he says, when I'm arguing with my wife, I know when i got to activate the magic words, honey, you're right, and I'm sorry, because she starts speaking her native language. And so in, in, in their marriage, when she starts speaking her native language, immediately, I mean, it's just... This guy is a very well-trained husband. He'll immediately say, honey, you're right, and I'm sorry. And, and it's her tendency to go back to what she knows in, in times of distress that's a perfect example of our tendency to go back to old patterns in our times of distress. Man, those old grave clothes, even though they're nasty and dirty and disgusting, sometimes we just can't resist putting them back on. And it's those things God is asking you to surrender. 
When you are in a, in a moment where the going has gotten tough, I promise you, you're going to want to tend to revert back to the old way. And it's in that moment God is saying, be loosed. Be loosed in the name of Jesus. Be freed in the name of Jesus. Surrender those old patterns in the name of Jesus and live a new life fully alive. I want to make you a promise. You cannot do that without the grace of God. And so as you leave here today, I want you to be thankful for the grace that allows you to truly be made alive and loosed from those vestiges of death that held you fast. Some of you are right in the middle of that going gets tough kind of a situation and God's saying, hey, help, have somebody help remove the stone, get that barrier that separates your dead stuff from my ability to give you life. And you still got some of those old nasty grave clothes on. Take them off. Let me help you. Let the body of Christ grow you up, grow up in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you or if that's somebody you know or you have another need after I prayer, I want to invite you to come forward and we want to surround you and love on you and be grateful for the grace God is freely willing to bestow on any and each of us. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much, God, for your grace. I am... Of all the people in here, easily the most messed up. And I, I have found a renewed appreciation and gratitude for your grace in my life. And I need more of it, and I'm asking you to show me the stones that separate me from you, those walls and the patterns from my old life that I keep wanting to go back to. And I pray those same prayers for each person under the sound of my voice. And I ask you to bless our church as we grow in your grace and are grateful for it. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Please stand while together we sing.